welcome to another edition of Beyond the Boardwalk, the entertainment and travel tales podcast with me, Andrew Wright. Fans of the beautiful game have had a torrid time during the COVID pandemic. Opportunities to go to football grounds have been sparse, with fans forced to watch their beloved teams on numerous TV channels at all times of the day and night. But since Project Restart in the Premier League last June, what's it really like watching football in the nation's big stadiums with no fans? Well, one person who can tell us is Lindsay Hooper. Lindsay is a broadcaster for the Premier League, BBC Sport, Amazon Prime Video Sport, and co-hosts the award-winning football podcast, The Offside Rule, with Kate Horsey and Hayley McQueen. And she joins us today to talk about the Premier League and football in a pandemic. Lindsay, it's lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me on, Andrew. I'm delighted to be with you and to talk about football. What else? (laughs) (laughs) And before we delve in and talk to Lindsay, let's just hear a little bit of her work. I gave you my tortoise earlier, so Jesse Lingard. I think Damari Gray could have been in that conversation as well, going from Leicester to Bayer Leverkusen. I think some time ago, Brendan Rodgers decided that he could move on. And I think he will flourish in Germany. He's the sort of player that will run rings in Bundesliga, I think, over at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, I do wonder if they'll they'll miss him a little bit. Um, but they have got Undair that's come through. Madison's in great form. Tielemans. I mean, they literally, Leicester at the moment, they're, they're really ticking, aren't they? So Brendan Rodgers does tend to do rush business um he's he's clearly been behind that one i want to go back and start when we actually last saw each other it was back in november 2019 on that cold night at stamford bridge um <laughs> i was working with the bbc you were working for amazon prime video sport um and i'm guessing that's kind of the last time where we were all together with fans in the ground was it just before christmas can you what can you remember about that time it's funny you mentioned that one because we've done quite a lot of Prime Video games since. I mean, Prime Video has been one of the beneficiaries, actually, of the pandemic in terms of picking up some extra games. Usually it's those games in December, like the one that you mentioned. And I was thinking back, and that was the last time that I interviewed two players side by side. I was rubbing shoulders with them. They were straight off the pitch, which was one of the things that Prime Video were wanting to do with these interviews on the pitch. Um, And I was thinking about that only the other day, the fact that I've not been that close to a player for a long time. And and that interview was one one of my favourites in recent memory. And they were kind of big nights for fans and media. I mean, we would all meet before the game uh, and we would talk to ex-players in the the media room. It was was quite a sort of, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? It It was a sort of a social night, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we all miss that food at Chelsea, don't we? Because they are, they're one of the best ones. I hope it returns one day, Andrew. I'm, I'm a bit worried that it might not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was such a lovely a lovely day out in a way, wasn't it? I mean, you, you got to the ground early. You'd probably, you'd probably make sure that you did absolutely all of your research and everything you needed to do before you got there so that you could just enjoy having a bit of a social time with your fellow journalists before going out and watching the football. And it feels like we're a long way from that returning. I know that there's some end in sight, but it's obviously going to be rationed back in, isn't it? It's not going to all come straight away. So we've had to get used to a really different way of experiencing football. And, you know, I've been one of the few that has been fortunate to get in at these grounds and I've still been pitch side. But wow, has it been far removed from what we've been used to. And from the other side of it, from the fan side of it, who used to have season tickets, the connection between the players, between the teams and the fans has has been really limited. And they've tried to think of innovative ways to address that. They've done lots of work during the pandemic. 
but nothing can replace actually being there on the day, can it? Um, we, we talked about the interaction back in November, which is like a year and a half ago. But on a match day now, how has it changed for you? Presumably temperature checks, COVID testing. What's it like in a football ground these days? Yeah, it's completely different. So you've got none of the, the press room set up at all. Um, it has changed slightly over the year. But um, what happens now is you you start even the day before filling in questionnaires. So everyone has to fill in their COVID forms. Often that's one for the broadcaster. And you'll also fill in something directly for the club that you're going to as well that is hosting you that day. And each of them have a different questionnaire. Each of them ask you different things. And each <laughs> of them want to know different information. Um, so I feel like I'm the queen of filling in questionnaires after the last 12 months. Um, and then when you get there, the idea is that you can't get there too early anymore. Um, it depends, really. When I do Premier League games, I tend to get there two hours before kickoff, which which isn't unusual. Um, I might have done that before. Sometimes it would have been three hours before, depending on on the on the stadium and, and everything. But in certainly I've noticed when I've been working for the BBC and in the EFL, um, there are windows where they're inviting press to be in. And of course, once you have feet on the ground and you've got numbers, you want to limit how long you've got the numbers there. So often we're not let in now until half past one for a three o'clock kickoff, for instance. Um, so there's little things that have changed along the way like that. Yes, you have your temperature check. Um, sometimes depends, again, on who's hosting the matches. You might have your temperature taken three times before you enter the ground. On others, you might have it taken once or twice. Often, you've also got these um, amber and red zones. I don't know whether you've been aware of those. but Yeah, I have seen them, actually. Yeah, so the red zone is pretty much for players, playing staff, um, the very, very few important people that need to be in that area. Um, press, and that includes the host broadcasters, the Premier League, whoever else is there, we're in an amber zone, so we can't go down that tunnel and we can't even cross over the tunnel area. So we can't have any cross-contamination of any description. So you have to make sure that you stay within those zones. Um, you have an allocated seat that is that is socially distanced from anybody else. You have to wear a mask at all times. That includes when you're watching the game. Um, you can you can have a drink, you can have a sandwich if you take it, but that's the only exception. And you really need to just be aware of everyone around you. It's it's just completely changed the way that we have to operate. And you mentioned a, a couple of moments ago, um, you know, you and I were both used to talking to managers in tunnels, talking to, you know, to players in, in the media room afterwards. And now, of course, that's all shifted on to Zoom. How have you coped with that? Well, I've been one of the few that hasn't had to be on Zoom. I have been on Zoom in the week to interview players for previewing games. But on the match day itself, I've been pitch side, but I've been socially distanced. So what we've had is very long boom mics where, <laughs> honestly, some people, they must have been working out in order to hold these aloft for as long as they have. Um, and we also tried, I mean, different broadcasters try different things. They've, they've tried speakers as well, whereby if I speak into a speaker, because they're sometimes they're so far away, they can't actually hear you very well. So they tried using speakers. Um, so that's been the sort of approach we've had directly after a match. Um, but the Zoom interviews for me, like earlier today, I interviewed Pedro Neto at Wolves um, to build up to the Liverpool game. Once upon a time, I would have been on site at the training ground in the same room as him, having eye contact. When you're, when you're having a conversation with anyone, it's really nice to have that, that informal approach. 
but we can't do that now. We have to be on Zoom. I'm, I'm on a laptop. I think the camera operator that's in the building tends to put the laptop on a chair somewhere and we tend to see the top of their heads or something. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we're making do, we're getting by and we're being safe, which I think is the most important thing. How difficult was it for you during that three months roughly we didn't have football you know I'm a freelancer you're a freelancer um when there's no sport we potentially have no work how difficult did you find it yeah that first three months didn't didn't bode well for me if that had been how it was going forward I I didn't actually um, fit into any of the government criteria to get some support so I was one of the three million excluded um that's partly because of my self-employed status and it was tough. Uh, I had the podcast that continued, which thankfully gave me something to focus on for the first few weeks. And I just decided to do what I always do, which is hustle a little bit. I, I ended up um, with my business partner, Kate Borsay, who you've mentioned at the top, who I did the podcast with. Um, we ended up pitching program ideas with the, via the audio content fund. We had um, I had a show that went out on Jack Radio called The Show Must Go On which was sport themed. It, it was giving a nod to all the big marquee sporting events that should have been happening last summer that didn't and speaking to people that would have been there. Um, and that got commissioned, which was a real relief for, for me. And Kate was working on a loneliness documentary at the same time for talk radio. Um, so yeah, we, we managed to get by. Uh, I know others aren't as fortunate, but I, I honestly do think if it if it had lasted any longer than those three months, I, I would have been in, in a bit of trouble. Mm. I mean, my, my partner works in the NHS and has um, had completely different demands to what I've had. But yeah, I, I think financially, there are people that have really, really suffered during this pandemic. And small businesses in particular are the ones that I, I really, really feel for. I know the hospitality and everybody's been hit and hopefully the government can can help that area. But there are very small businesses that really struggle to survive. And if they take out themselves as the director and often people pay themselves on a dividend and that sort of thing, in order to keep the business afloat, you know, they can't furlough themselves. And I've heard so many examples of that. It's heartbreaking. Let's talk about happier things and, and the Premier League. Um, I guess where we wanted to start with the Premier League is fans not being in grounds and, and how that's affected teams you know we've had some weird results there was the there was Aston Villa putting what's it seven past Liverpool you know um, Southampton have shipped nine now in, in two consecutive seasons um, do you think that's had anything to do with fans not being in grounds? I think it's played a part yeah I'm, I, I don't actually agree with the home and away ruling really anymore because but the thing is what you have to remember is if you go right back to the beginning with the Premier League they did not know how long this was going to last so I can understand that nothing changed but I think in hindsight would you give three points still I I don't know like I I think there's maybe something that could have changed there for two points instead of three for a win I don't know um and just done that across the board because it there is definitely a disadvantage um, when you're when you're playing ordinarily and you have a stadium like Anfield filled to the rafters, uh, following every move on your back. I mean, West Ham fans, West Ham have had a brilliant season, but West Ham might be one of the ones that have benefited because <laughs> since that move to the stadium, they've had fans <laughs> on their back, you know, and now they haven't got them anymore. So it can work both ways. But I, I, I honestly think the majority have missed the fans and have missed having that 
that voice it's that you like they say the 13th man or 13th woman in terms of just being able to at those key moments in games inspire something else it might give you that extra 10% running it might give you that 10% extra when you go for a header or for a chance and it's hard to replicate I think the players have got used to it gradually but I think that that beginning period in particular after the restart we saw some crazy results we hear a lot of talking from managers and coaches and players now that we never heard before as well on on match days don't we Oh, we do. I, I mean, I spent, I've spent quite a bit of time at Crystal Palace and I know Ray Lewington's voice. It haunts me <laughs> as I'm leaving the ground. He's the loudest man in football. Him and Connor Cody at Wolves um, on the field, I think he's probably the loudest. You hear everything. Um, it's, it's like being at a training match is the way I would describe it when you're actually there you feel like this isn't a real match. It's it's like a practice run and that everyone's just shouting and screaming at each other. And you, you, you take that all on board. And the really strange thing as well, when you've got football commentators in the ground, is you can hear the football commentary loud. I mean, you've got some louder broadcasters than others as well. And I remember being at Arsenal very early on when Meza Ozil was still at the club. And one of the commentators was talking about Ozil and whether he would be at the club in a few months time and whether he was on his way out and Ozil sat there just with his head up looking <laughs> listening and you're thinking yeah you can't nothing gets by you anymore you can't get away with comments if you don't want them to be heard in terms of Premier League champions in this weird season um, do we think it's Manchester City all the way is there a chance for United to, to, to get it uh, what's your thoughts I think it's Manchester City all the way now. And, and I, I think that for, for the main reason being that they've got cover in every position. And I think this season has really shown up what having depth in squad can mean because there's been so many injuries. I think a lot of Liverpool's problems have been that if you go back, not just to last season when they were champions, but if you go back to the season before when they went toe-to-toe with Manchester City all the way, they got over the you know that 100-point mark and you're thinking, what have I got to do with 90? 99 points or whatever it was they finished on to try and win this title. You know, Man City pushed them toe to toe. I think they're really, really spent. I think they're tired. I think injuries have crept in because of that. They have had some unfortunate injuries as well as we know with the Virgil van Dijk one, but I think they're, they're really jaded. And I think whilst Manchester City dropped off a little bit last season, whilst Liverpool went on to, to win the title and won it quite convincingly, they addressed their weaknesses in the recruitment windows. Diaz has made a huge difference to their defence. I think the fact that Manchester City have tightened up their defence is going to be the key to them going on and winning. Um, but they have got all this creative flair as well. And when one player isn't doing it, they turn to another one. When Kevin De Bruyne is missing, we've got Gundogan. When Gundogan's not doing it, Sterling can put them in. When Sterling's not doing it, we've got Foden. And... I just think any team right now who wants to try and take on City for the title have aren't equipped. They aren't equipped to do it. But I think the race now for the Champions League spots is the one that's really hotly contested. Who can who else can finish in that top four? We're seeing Leicester drop away again, like they did last season. Are they going to drop out the top four? We've got teams as well that are on a bit of a trajectory and, and new teams as well, like West Ham, that are in the mix. So I think that's the real story now. For, for fans of the Premier League, it's probably who's going to finish in the top four. 
In terms of who might get relegated, I mean, again, it's it's been so fast moving recently. Up to a couple of weeks ago, I would have had um, Sheffield United, West Bromwich Albion and, and Fulham. And then all of a sudden, um, Fulham have done what they've been threatening to do all season. You know, they've started to not lose. They've picked some points up. They've had a couple of wins. And, and then that starts kind of pulled Southampton, you know, and Brighton and maybe Crystal Palace into it. Do you think Fulham have got what it takes to get out of it? Yeah, I do, actually, because I think Fulham are the team that have the momentum going one way. And we can see other teams that have just got a momentum going the other. The thing with Fulham is they've made small tweaks and changes. And Scott Parker has been incredible during this period, I think, at just making a few things slightly better, like the defence. He brought in Madger, so he's got someone as well now that can finish off goals. Um, I mean, there's no denying that Lutman is a, is a top player. Mm. And then you've got Joachim Anderson, the captain, who has offered a different option because Scott Parker was so religious about trying to do this possession-based football and being um, all about the press as well, which he hadn't really got the quality to compete all the time with that. But what he's got with Joachim Anderson now is this baller who can just spray a ball and he attempts more long balls than anyone else in the Premier League. And that's given them another outlet to have this sort of quarterback figure. And I think it's made a huge difference to Fulham's game. What I don't see, um, although I do feel sorry for Brighton, they have they do play some nice football, but they just can't score goals. And what I don't see with Newcastle is, is them with the injury list that they have, um, I, I just don't see them scoring enough either. So I think they're really dragged into it. Um, Crystal Palace, I'm not so sure. I think Crystal Palace tend to grind out these, these draws and I think they'll get over the line. I think they already know that they're probably safe. If, if I pushed you, do you think it'll be Brighton? Do you think it'll be Newcastle? What, what's your gut feeling? My gut feeling is it's going to be Newcastle, actually. Do you, um, do you think um, do you think Scott Parker probably right now doesn't want Steve Bruce sacked because a change of manager at Newcastle down might give him some momentum? Um, yeah, I don't I don't think that they will change manager now at this point in the season. I, I know that people say about this new manager bounce, but at the same time, you can only work with the personnel that you've got. And there are so many, so many players missing. I mean, one of the things that I spoke to Steve Bruce about at the weekend was, you know, if you look at the combination of players that they've had missing at the same time, go back to the beginning of the season, it was in defence. Right now, you've got Almiron and some Maximan, and that's the pace in the team. So they're missing the pace and that was so evident watching against West Brom they hadn't really got apart from Fraser who tried on occasions they hadn't got that pace or that outlet in attack and anyone who came in would be you know working with those same tools you know unless you can get those players back quicker I, I think with Newcastle as well I think it's because there's a lot of other factors that go into it as a club, the expectation factor to a degree. Um, we all know that fans have been disgruntled about, about the manager for a while. And I suppose that breeds a little bit of negativity without you even realising. And when you've got a team like Fulham that's suddenly feeling very positive and they're feeding off that positivity, that's what makes me think that they might cross over. I think that they're the team to maybe catch. And the reason why I think Brighton might just be okay they have shown, haven't they? I mean, they, sh yeah. they showed against Liverpool. I think that they can spring a surprise result. I think they've got a, a, a couple in them. Um, so you might put on a fixture list and you might look at what Brighton's run is and think that's pretty tough. But I think that they might surprise along the way. Um, 
Whereas I think with Newcastle, they're more likely to grind out draws that just won't be enough if, if Fulham are winning. In terms of teams that have improved this year, I, I guess for me, Aston Villa, because when mm. I saw them on that night with you at Stamford Bridge, they were, they were not great. And then all of a sudden, it seems to be they survived by the skin of their teeth in the Premier League last year. And then all of a sudden, they seem to be, you know, top half of the table, don't they? Well, I hold my hands up because I saw them on that final day at London Stadium. That was the final day of last season for me, was watching West Ham Villa. And I thought, right, that's it. If they survive this one, which they did on the day, they're going down next season. So in my early <laughs> early season predictions, I, I think I said I um I think I said Fulham, West Brom, Villa. Those are my predictions. I mean, how wrong could I be about Aston Villa? They've been brilliant. Um I think defensively. They've been really strong. I think Konza has been a fantastic player this season for them. Jack Grealish, when when he does what Jack Grealish does, there's no denying, you know, he's one of the best players in the league. But I think Ollie Watkins, great recruitment. Um, You look at Ross Barkley. I know that he hasn't played as much recently, but I think he had that spell when he came in and lifted everybody in the club. I think Jack Grealish was loving playing with him. And Bertrand Traore. He's been fantastic. I mean, his close control and his footwork in the box would terrify me as a defender. You think you're (laughs) going to give away a penalty. So um, he gets a bit more space on the ball because of it. And he's been really threatening. And I just think that the the team has come together. I I feel like Aston Villa is a real team effort this season. Um, And I think Dean Smith's gone to show exactly, you know, what he can achieve. I think people were questioning him, weren't they, towards the end of last Mm. season. But... It, it goes to show, especially in this pandemic year, what a vouch of confidence can do. And we haven't seen as many managers sat, which no. is an interesting one too. And in terms of what's what's gone on at Sheffield United, I mean, I find that really surprising. They had, a, you know, they had a overachieved, for argument's sake, last season. You know, they were at the top of the table. How has it gone so badly wrong for them this year? Uh, I think that they are in the middle of the two seasons. So I think they were very lucky last season and they've been very unlucky this season. And they're probably, the true nature of the team is probably somewhere in the middle. They're probably a team that would sit about 15th in the table, truth be told. Last season, they they got those results with a 1-0 win. I mean, if you look at the results that they picked up along the way that got them as high in the table as it did, they they were very small margins. And they still, even last season, weren't scoring many goals. They didn't address that. They didn't get anyone to replace the goals or, or to provide more goals. And it's gone the other way for them this season. Um if they're scoring one, the teams they're playing are scoring two or they're scoring three. And last time it wasn't like that. They they were just scraping by with, with a one-nil margin and, and it's just not happening. I couldn't get you on today without asking about your beloved Wolves. You know, yeah, again, it's a solid season, isn't it? You're, you're not going to um, be relegated. How, how's the season gone, do you think? Uh, it's been disappointing in some ways because you look at the first two seasons back in the Premier League and they were both, you know, top eight finishes and, you know, seventh both seasons. I think everyone was hoping to build on that. But I think when you look at the players that we lost and the players that we've brought in and the awful injury that happened to Jimenez, I think there's a transitional phase that's happening at Wolves right now. And I really do trust Nuno. I think sometimes... 
I've had a couple of occasions because I've been so Nuno <laughs> and like with him all the way through. I've had a couple of occasions where I've thought you've not made the right decision there or you didn't <laughs> you didn't make the right changes at the right time or you didn't affect the game in the way that you could have done. And it's the first time that I've done that, but maybe I've been more critical than than before. Um, but I think a lot of players at Wolves haven't been at their best. I think the fact that Pedro Neto has been a star player of the season sort of says it all. When you've got Traore and Neves in the team and um, the other quality around them as well, there were, there's players in that team that, that when they're on their top, I think if they click, they can get back into those European places again. And in terms of my beloved Chelsea, do you want to offer some some punditry on Chelsea? Well, I'm I'm liking Tuchel so far. I mean, you can't okay. you can't actually disagree with the results, can you? They are unbeaten in however many games. So, I I think the romantic factor with with Frank Lampard was wanting that to work, but I honestly think that there were some areas that that had been neglected for a while. I don't think he could settle on his starting 11. I think that was a, a real hindrance. And I think what we've seen with Tuchel is, I think we're starting to establish now what his favoured team is. We know that he likes to rotate, but they know they know their role. And I think just from speaking to a lot of players that have played under different managers, I mean, you, we talked about Palace earlier with Roy Hodgson and Gary Cahill, who used to play at Chelsea. And there's a lot of players that they just want to know where they stand. They yeah. just want to know what their role is, what they have to do, and they just want it in simple terms. And I wonder if it was slightly overcomplicated yeah. under Lampard. And what's Tuchel's come in, he's come in and not not that layer off, I think. So it, it's interesting because there's players at Chelsea that I think you'd be much worse off without, uh, Conte being an example. But yet I hear rumours that he might go. And mm. so I don't know what the future for Chelsea looks like. You could either absolutely storm it next season and be a title contender or, or you could <laughs> be struggling <laughs> to get into Europe. I, I don't know which one it's going to be. Um, let's finish today by talking about your, your podcast, The Offside Rule. Um, just tell us a bit about it and where we can find it. So Offside Rule, we have two shows now. We have one on a Tuesday, which is the WSL edition. Um, we cover all of the top flight of women's football and give analysis and reaction and get great guests on. Um, that's out on a Tuesday. And we have the Offside Rule, um, which is a Thursday offering. And that is all about Premier League, Champions League football, um, a lot of the big stories of the week. We try and have some fun with that as well. It's a bit more lifestyle-y. And that's with myself, Kate Borsay and Hayley McQueen. Um, and both of those shows can be found by The Athletic. So if you read The Athletic or you subscribe to The Athletic, you can find them on there. And um, they're also on all of your, your podcast platforms. So if you go to <laughs> iTunes and the likes, Podfollow and all of that, we're on there. <laughs> Lindsay Hooper, it's been fantastic to talk to you today and hear all the stories. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.